Amen, amen. Thank you, choir. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you, church, for a beautiful morning of worship so far. If you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 12 through 17 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. And if you uh, don't have your own copy of God's Word, you can open up to page 1327, 1,327 in the Pew Bible there in front of you. As you're opening up there, I want to say how excited I am, how looking forward I am to Reach Week. I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be a good week for us. It's the uh, last Sunday in September until the first Sunday in October. And that's a chance, like we did last year, for you to take an opportunity with your Sunday school class, with your friends, with whatever group you want to do, or as your family, whatever, to reach out in the community that week some way. Now, the the purpose of this is to try to connect, to have conversations with folks about the gospel, ways to love folks. So not necessarily service projects and that sort of thing. It can be that, but but ways to just sort of think through and pray through how do we connect with folks, invite them to church, share the gospel with them during that week. That's going to culminate at Church Outside the Walls, and uh, that's coming up first Sunday in October. We'll be at Marana Park. We will worship there, and we'll have a church picnic inviting anyone that wants to come to come have hamburgers and hot dogs uh, there at the church after, after, at the park after worship. So we're looking forward to that. We'll be worshiping at Marana Park that day. Last, last year, we had church just outside the walls uh, in the parking lot. Uh, this year, the park's done, so we're going to have church all the way outside the walls. So we're looking, looking forward to that. If you have your Bibles open there, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading, the words of our God. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to you. Beginning in verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Let's pray together. Oh God, would you open our hearts and minds, Father, today to receive your word. And Lord, my prayer is that we would be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated the victory celebration the proper term for it was a triumph the the triumph lasted for three days every temple in the city was open and decorated with garland the smell of incense being burned wafted wafted through the streets you could smell it everywhere it filled the air And the parade began. It took three days for all the parade to happen. The parade began with piles of loot and plunder. Over 250 
hundreds of chariots and wagons loaded with plunder from the conquered nation, statues, paintings, sculptures, and more. Another day saw piles of weapons and armor of the defeated foes carried through the streets. And Plutarch in his lives, as he talks about this parade, talks about how even though it was the armor and weaponry of vanquished foes, it still struck fear in the hearts of the people as they looked on the armor and weapons of their enemies. Scaffolding was erected everywhere in all the great circuses where horse games were held. And in all the great huge parts of Rome, scaffolding was erected everywhere for the people who were all clad in white to be able to catch a glimpse of all of these festivities. And then came the treasure on two separate days. One day was for silver, another day was for gold. Chariots and chariots and wagons and wagons of silver and gold. And all the while, trumpeters, trumpeters are walking through the streets announcing this triumph, announcing this great victory. On another day, 120 oxen with gilded horns and covered in garland and wreaths were marched through the streets and then sacrificed. And then came the king's court and family. And finally... Just before he came himself, a chariot came holding the king of Macedonia's crown, holding his armor, representing his rule that had now ended. Because there came Perseus, king of Macedonia, being walked through the streets of Rome as a slave with he and all of his household. And then, after this amazing testimony of the power and might of Rome, came the man of the hour, the conquering consul, Aemilius Paulus, given the honorific title of Macedonicus, conqueror of Macedonia, in celebration of his triumph over these foes. And as Plutarch wrote about Amelius in his lives, he described this great triumph, one of the great honors that a, a Roman military man could receive. And these triumphs, these Roman victory parades, it seems, are the image that Paul has in mind as he describes the way that the gospel is going forward in the world. A conquering God is leading forth this parade people. And so in the midst of seeing this triumph, this Roman military parade, and in the midst of his own suffering and trials and tribulations and his difficulties with the Corinthian church, Paul is saying here and stating here that even though they have had challenges, it has not slowed down the march of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I want to demonstrate to you, show you three points from this text that help us understand the way that the gospel of Jesus Christ advances in the world. Three three things for us to hold in mind as we we think through who's your one, our evangelism emphasis, as we think through reach week, as we think through just who we are 
as a church in preaching and spreading the gospel of Christ, not only here in Gadsden, not only in Etowah County, not only in Alabama, not only in the United States, not only in North America, but hoping and praying that God would use us in some way to spread the gospel throughout the whole earth. We need to bear these three things in mind, these three truths in mind. Here's the first. Discipleship bolsters gospel advance. Discipleship bolsters gospel advance. That is, discipleship is the strength and the power that helps us advance the gospel into the world. Jesus told us to go into the world and make disciples. And so our call as we lead people to Jesus is to disciple them. Look to the text in verses 12 and 13. Paul says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest. Why? Because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. In other words, Paul gets to Troas and and he has a door open to him. He's got a prime opportunity to preach the gospel. And yet Titus had not made it there to Troas yet. And so Paul went on to Macedonia in in order to try to find Titus. Now, why did Paul want to see Titus? We learn later in verse 7 that in chapter 7 that Titus was coming bearing news about the Corinthians. Titus was coming to give Paul a report on the Corinthians. And so it seems like Paul's spirit is not at rest because of his concern for the Corinthian church. And so there's where Paul is, trying to make a hard decision between remaining at Troas and preaching the gospel there where a door has been opened, where clearly a good thing that God could have Paul do is preach the gospel there at Troas, or Paul needs to go on and continue his work and effort in writing some of the unhealth, some of the, some of the bad things going on in the Corinthian church, hearing a report from Titus to know what's next. What does Paul do? He goes on to Macedonia to try to rendezvous with Titus. And as I studied this and thought through this and read commentaries on this, it dawned on me that this is gospel ministry in a nutshell. The constant pull in every direction of really good and really important things. That This is gospel ministry in a nutshell. There is a constant pull for every pastor I know to do really good, really important things all the time. And the challenge becomes that you cannot do all the really good and all the really important things all of the time. For years of my ministry, for years of my ministry, the way I would describe it was, I just feel guilty all the time. I just feel guilty all the time. Uh, When I'm with my family, I feel like I ought to be serving the Lord's church. And then sometimes when I was serving the Lord's church, I'd feel like, man, I really probably need to be doing something with my family right now. And then I would say, you know what, I really need to spend some, some extended time studying. And then I would start studying and sit down to read and study. And I'd think, you know, Alexander, there's a, there's a lot more of you than there used to be. You ought to be exercising. And then I would go exercise, and, and I would be exercising. I would think, I would rather do anything but this right now, and so I might as well go and study. And, and so just constantly, you feel pulled in every direction. And that's not just true for pastors, that's true for each and every one of you. You feel a constant pull for really good stuff, important stuff, stuff that matters. And this is true for churches as well. 
We feel constantly pulled in lots of directions as churches. There's a new book coming out every day, basically, saying what the church ought to be doing. Now, what I like to say to those folks is, go pastor a church and y'all do it then, you know? Quit writing books. Do it. I'll leave it at that. What's even worse, and I won't, I, what's even worse is there's only somebody on, like, Twitter or something saying what churches ought to be doing. So go, get off the blog and go pastor a church then. Make it happen. We need more faithful, healthy churches. Praise be to God, do it. But constantly, they're so that the church ought to be doing this, the church ought to be doing that. And there's a constant pull, even for First Baptist Church of Gadsden, to do lots of really good things and really important things really well. And yet what we have to do is say, what is our mission? What is it we're about? And that is the advance of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is what we're called to. That, that's what we're called to, and we must reckon with that and recognize we've got to quadruple down on the advance of the gospel in our own lives and in our churches. We must advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, Paul says, he got there to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, and a door was opened to him, and Paul didn't do it. That's fascinating, isn't it? Isn't that a fascinating thing to stop and consider? That a door was open for Paul to preach the gospel, and Paul didn't preach the gospel. Instead, he went on to meet with Titus. You see, I think, I love the way Paul phrases this. Sometimes the, the Bible's not spiritual enough for the hyper-spiritual folks. But, but what does Paul say here? My spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. You see, there's a value of just having impressions sometimes. Just a sense as we're trusting God and trusting the Word and the wisdom He's given us and the, and the indwelling Holy Spirit and the mission that God's given us. Sometimes we have to make hard decisions about good things and between good things. And here what Paul is weighing is gospel opportunity for the gospel to go forth an opportunity to strengthen where the gospel has already gone. And here in this moment, Paul chooses the weight and concern for the Corinthian church over the need of the gospel at Troas. And I find that decision that Paul makes to be very illuminating for us. And, and, and the way I'm reducing this down and understanding this and trying to make application for all of us is that we must let discipleship our commitment to strengthening what already exists, our commitment to building up the Lord's church, our, our commitment to being healthy and, and, and sharing the word among Christians, it must bolster. It doesn't replace. These aren't enemies. It must bolster. It must strengthen. It must be the ballast in the ship of gospel advance. The, the, they needed to know that they had slowed down the preaching of the gospel at Troas, but they also needed to know Paul's love and concern for them. And, and here Paul is showing the way that discipleship is the ballast in the ship so that the ship isn't tossed about so we don't wind up with thin churches all over the place, but so that there are strong gospel centers. Paul is making sure that things are healthy at Corinth. You see, as the gospel goes forth, we must bolster and strengthen the advance of the gospel through discipleship along the way. These are not opposing thoughts. These are things we do together. These are things we do together. But second of all, not only do we recognize that discipleship bolsters 
gospel advance. But second of all, we recognize that the gospel triumphs in surprising ways. The, the gospel triumphs in surprising ways. I like to imagine this letter being read in Corinth. The, the, the Corinthians kind of had a little bit of a worldliness issue. They wanted to see power on display, and they had these super apostles here who were sort of playing this up. And, and one of the things I think they're bad-mouthing Paul about is his suffering in his life and the weakness that he demonstrates at different times. That's a, you know, really, in a lot of ways, 2 Corinthians is an extended discourse for suffering in the life of an apostle and vis-a-vis in the Christian life in so many ways. And so I just imagine that if, if this letter's being allowed in Corinth, that that they get here and they're shocked. They're shocked by this. Because this is the passage that they want Paul to... This is what they want him to say. This is, I think Paul's supporters, this passage would seem like finally a breath of fresh air for them, except for one word. Because Paul starts talking about triumphal procession and the victory parade of God and, and the, the triumphal march of the gospel, and finally he's starting to sound like folks want him to sound like, and I can just imagine his supporters saying, finally he's, he's throwing these folks a bone, but he doesn't. What does he say? You see, at first glance, this doesn't seem to be a passage about weakness. And yet we see here in this passage that one of the ways that the gospel triumphs surprisingly is to the triumph of weakness. What does, the, what does the Bible say? But thanks be to God who in Christ always what? Leads us. Leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. Leads us in triumphal procession is one verb in Greek. And, and y'all know I don't like to throw Greek at you all the time. But I, it's important here. And, and the word that Paul uses here is threombuo. And this word means to be led in triumphal procession, but it is almost always in reference to those who are being led as the people who lost. It's typically used of the triumphed over, not the one who has triumphed, right? It is typically used of the slaves who are being led through the streets. And so as we see this passage, and even if you read my sermon title this week about a parade of glory, we start to get excited. We like glory. We enjoy the thought of it, and we enjoy the thought of the triumph of the gospel, as we should. At first glance, this does not seem like a passage about weakness, but in fact, this is exactly the sort of way that we like to view ourselves. Strong, and courageous and victorious and here I am with my laurel wreath on with my white victorious splendid toga on and I'm a few spots back from God we got to be humble but here I am walking in the parade that's not how Paul viewed himself though that's not how Paul viewed his apostolic ministry Paul says I can only be numbered among the conquered here and yet I am being led in this victory parade of God. And what seems like strength on the outside, what what seems like strength on the outside is not actually strength. And what you see as weakness and as unbecoming of a gospel minister, God sees as glorious. They are being surprised by Paul's weakness. And we would have been also surprised by suffering. There's a surprise that there's 
suffering. Paul suffered in Asia, he tells us. He, he suffered in different ways. I think he clearly uh, suffered near Corinth to where he had the reputation of someone who had suffered. And so as Paul the prisoner is being led by the Lord and the, inc- the smell of the incense from this parade are filling the streets, some look at Paul's life, they look at the weakness and suffering and they see it as unbecoming of the gospel. It smells like death to them. It stinks. But others see this weakness, this suffering, this rejection of the gospel. Some smell it and refuse it. It smells like death. Therefore, it leads to their death. But some catch the aroma of Christ. And it smells like life. And it leads to life. Some folks reject God because of what they see and what they smell as they see the gospel going forth. But what we must all recognize, what you have to to see today is how the gospel triumphs in surprising ways. Don't you see? Can't, can't you see here how what looks like death and misery to the world is actually life and glory for the believer? Don't you see how Paul is undermining the Corinthians' assumptions about power and glory by, by showing the way that The gospel displays God's power and God's glory through weakness. Don't you see how what smells like death to the world is actually God leading a victory parade and what looks like God's slaves along the way, people who seem like refuse, people who don't seem wonderful in the world's eyes are actually being led in the victory parade of God. And as we smell the smell of this parade, it doesn't smell like death to us. It smells like life. There's a response we have to have to this sort of understanding of the gospel. A a, a gospel that triumphs in surprising ways and, and a gospel that's bolstered through discipleship. You see, faster, quicker, as fast as possible is the way we think. We don't think about stopping and building slowly. Big and beautiful and glorious and flashy is the way we think. We don't think about the way that suffering and difficulties and weakness Paint a picture of God's glory. So our response to this sort of gospel is our third point this morning. We must do what Paul says he did, and that is to sincerely and transparently preach the gospel. We must sincerely, as a church, sincerely and transparently preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second half of verse 16 says this, Who, who is sufficient for these things? And then into verse 17, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God we speak Christ. Who is sufficient for the sort of glory parade that God is putting on? Who is sufficient for this sort of triumphal spread that God is doing? Who is sufficient 
for these things. Paul says, you're missing the point. Nobody has the credentials that these guys say they have. Nobody has the credentials that you're looking for. Nobody is sufficient for these things. And so what people were doing and what people do to this very day is to try to meet a sort of worldly standard for what it means to be successful. People peddle God's Word. They sell God's Word. I got absolutely flabbergasted this week. I mean, dumbfounded. I could not believe it. And I'm still not sure I believe it. But I heard Benny Hinn, Benny Hinn, saying that he is sorry for the way that he has preached prosperity. Now listen, I hope I see fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't go download a bunch of Benny Hinn sermons this afternoon. We're not there yet. But man, I hope and pray I live in a world where I can send you to a Benny Hinn crusade to hear the gospel of Christ preached. But but he was saying, I I feel bad for the way I've preached this over the years where I would tell people that the gospel's about being blessed, the gospel's receiving money. He, for a long time, has been a peddler of God's word. And I'm going to tell you something. You can peddle God's word and make a lot of money and get a lot of notoriety and a lot of fame. But you're not preaching the gospel sincerely and with transparency when you do that. Be careful, brothers and sisters. Be careful, because there are people who will tell you exactly what you want to hear in all sorts of corners of the world in order to get you to buy their books and listen to their podcasts and give to their churches and give to their ministries. They peddle God's Word. We must reject a, a worldly view of what preaching the gospel ought to look like. We create the market for this stuff. We, we create the market when we have a, a worldly view of what preaching the gospel ought to look like. Instead, Paul says, we preach the gospel sincerely, we preach the gospel sent, and we preach the gospel seen. Sincerely before God, we preach the gospel with clear conscience. Sent by God, commissioned by God, we preach the gospel as we're being sent out on God's mission. And we're seen by God as we preach it. God sees all and knows all in the sight of of God, we speak in Christ. See, the Corinthians' dysfunction had thwarted the spread of the gospel in Troas. But Paul says, you you know, you, you messed up this open door here, but here's the reality. that This itself is an open door for the spread of the gospel. That even though I had to leave Troas to go try to find Titus to get a, a report on you, nonetheless, here I am, telling you that this is part of the triumph of the gospel. That even in your dysfunction, even in the difficulties there in your church, the gospel is going forth triumphantly and magnificently, but not always in ways that you can understand. What Paul is saying is all the while, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of weakness, in the midst of trials, in the midst of the pressures, in the midst of feeling pulled in every direction, and he'll almost say this literally later in 2 Corinthians, in the midst of all this, we preach Christ. Nothing will thwart the work of God. Nothing will stop the aroma of Christ from filling His church and from filling the world. Nothing will thwart God from using us to press into the work that He has called us to. And we know that from the outside it looks like folks who are suffering and weak and mocked and poor and having a hard time getting along with one another. We're having to kick some folks out of the church, Paul says. It's never perfect. Nobody is sufficient for these things. We're always struggling. There's always something going on. 
from the outside, it looks like it's not pretty at all. From the outside, it looks like every time a door opens, we can't even walk through it for trying to deal with the dysfunctions of the church. From the outside looking in, it's, it's not pretty at all. It looks strange, and it, and it smells like death, and, and people are rejecting the gospel. From the outside, it doesn't look good at all. But in the eyes of God, who leads us on in triumphal procession, it's a parade of glory. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ, He invites you even now to submit to Him, to die to Him, to submit to His kingship and to join His parade today as a servant of Christ. If you'll turn from God, I mean turn from your sins in repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus Christ, I believe that Scripture teaches you will be saved. And so my hope and my prayer is that you would trust in Jesus today. Second of all, you may be a believer. You may say, Pastor, I just need some time to pray. This altar is open for you today. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for the fact you lead us in triumphal procession before Christ. And God, we thank you for the beauty of the gospel that for us is the aroma of life. And God, we thank you, as Jamie said earlier in his testimony, we thank you for the life that we've been promised. And God, even now I pray that you would work in the hearts and lives of those who are here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.